This podcast and posts that result from its content are my own opinions and do not represent the views or opinions of my employers of past, present, and future. Jen Has Issues is not and should not be viewed as a news source. While I always strive for accuracy, I'm human. I can and will be wrong at times. Lastly, this podcast has strong language. In two languages, you've been warned. It's no secret I have issues. Issues with Republicans, issues with losing the field as a Texas Democrat, and issues with the political landscape that many are frustrated by, but few know about. What is going on in Texas politics? Why do they keep asking us to vote but not tell us who or what we're voting for, or much less how we got here? How does this even affect me? You're listening to Jen Has Issues, a podcast where we try to break all of this down in a fun, easy to understand way. Hello and welcome, my guys, gals, and non-binary pals. You know, when I decided to create a podcast, I had high expectations for myself. I had hoped my first episode would be funny, relatable, and a way to offer commentary that you don't hear in most places. For those of you who are meeting me for the first time, my name is Jen Ramos. I'm the wearer of many hats. I'm an activist, political organizer, former bartender turned communications guru, and now I work in politics. I became a political professional by accident. Someone gave a college dropout waiting tables the opportunity to be involved, and the rest is history. I can get into that story later if you're really interested in it. But the important points that you need to know during our time together is, number one, life comes at you so slow, then so fast. Number two, unless you're related to someone, wealthy, white, or all of the above, there is no orientation or beginner's course for Texas politics that really gets it all done. And three, because of points one and two, I've been hell-bent on changing the system for as long as I've been in it. Simply put, I've got issues. After over a decade in the political realm, and having just turned 30, I'm a quasi-elected official within the Democratic Party. I'm not slinging margaritas for a living anymore, but working to change the system from within, full-time. I've earned the reputation of being a hellraiser by shaking up that system. Rather than owing favors to a powerful and wealthy elected official, I owe it to my single mom and my raised-in-the-barrio, multi-generation South Texan family to be the change that makes life better for others like us. This ain't about me, though. Rather, it's about you. The recording for this episode was started before the overturning of Roe v. Wade, before 50 dead migrants were discovered outside of San Antonio, and before Ketanji Jackson-Brown was sworn into the U.S. Supreme Court. Like I said, life comes at you fast, and I couldn't have predicted that what I thought would be at least five podcast episodes of content would happen in the span of two weeks, all while I was building the website, attempting to record my debut episode, and recovering from a car accident. For some reason, baptism by fire tends to be my M.O., you're probably here because you're confused. Maybe you know me from my non-political life. And trust me, I appreciate you so much. Maybe you've never voted in your life because all politicians are the same and nothing ever changes. What do rich old guys know about my life? And you're right, most don't. Maybe you've never voted because you feel stupid asking questions. You don't know who to ask questions and you don't want to be judged. But the shitstorm that has been the last two weeks is why you're here. You're confused as hell, but know that things are fucked up. And now you feel like it's time to get your shit together and get involved. But what does that look like? Whether this is your first gateway to politics or you're a seasoned pro, this episode is dedicated to you. You've got questions. I've got answers. And if I don't have the answers, we're going to find out together. We're going to break down Texas politics one episode at a time. Over the next few episodes, we'll have special guests from within the world of Texas politics to talk about the work that they do and explain 
what you need to know. This is Jen Has Issues. Considering this is a podcast called Jen Has Issues, there will be no shortage of opinions. Jen's jabs are where we talk about the things that drive me nuts in politics today. This week, it was announced that the Texas Democratic Party's coordinated campaign will be run by a director from South Carolina. In a state that boasts 30 million people, it frustrates me to no end that we continue to hire out-of-state folks to lead because of our lack of a pipeline. No, my criticism is not of the person who was hired. I'm sure they're lovely. They're talented, brilliant, and really want to help flip a red state. I can totally respect and admire that because I share the same concerns. I'm just fed up with us hiring folks from places that look nothing like Texas, who don't understand our local issues, or much less have apathy for the folks who have been trying to organize, especially in a red state that is determined to kill us. Now, I say this because this has been my experience with national organizations that parachute in people from flyover states. Nothing against folks in flyover states, so don't get mad at me, Kansas. But Texas is a state that has significant brain drain for many reasons. Organizers are undervalued, underpaid, and because of the lack of a pipeline for up-and-coming talent, usually organizers and Democratic activists have to leave the state to get treated with respect or even to remotely be adequately compensated. We're also tired of fighting for issues and candidates that affect our communities when the powers that be, looking at you, Joe Biden, tell us it'll all be okay if we just vote. Especially when the city of Houston alone had more voters than the state of Rhode Island. And there were way more Democrats that voted. But it feels like we're stuck in the bad place because Governor Wheels likes voter suppression more than he likes dog whistle racism and being cruel to undocumented immigrants. So for all intents and purposes, if you're a Democratic activist out there, especially those who are in rural communities, organizing in marginalized communities, or feel like you're just not getting your fair shake, I hear you see you and just know that I am equally as annoyed. But speaking of awful elected officials, let's talk about how noted Republican, I mean, worst Democrat of the century, Congressman Henry Cuellar managed to squeak by re-election with margins more narrow than his receding hairline. In case you're not familiar with the sad sack of the South, Henry Cuellar represents Texas's 28th congressional district, which, fun fact, is my hometown in the district, which is the town of Laredo. And he hasn't been the best Democrat. He brought fake COVID-19 tests to the district in the beginning swing of the pandemic, has voted against labor protections for workers, against codifying abortion rights, and surprisingly, but not really surprisingly if you know who this guy is, the ban of automatic weapons after the deadly massacre of school children in Uvalde, which is less than 100 miles away from his district. He takes money from the radical gun rights organization, the NRA, and has never held a town hall in the district. And theoretically speaking, this is supposed to be a safe democratic seat. Now, what I mean by that, if you're not familiar with the way that politics works, is every 10 years, we participate in the phenomenon called redistricting. This is when elected officials draw the maps based on the results of the census. Now, that being said, this district was drawn to hypothetically be more democratic. And what we use to determine that is looking at the amount of people that voted in the presidential election who voted for Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And in the case of this election, the way that they drew Texas 28, more people, if this map had existed at the time of the election, would have voted for Joe Biden than Donald Trump in comparison to other districts like the new district in Houston, Texas 38, which is drawn to have hypothetically voted for Donald Trump more. So with this district having been more democratic, we have managed to elect one of the worst Democrats who refuses to behave and participate. So 
it's interesting to say that because his incompetence as well as his inability to actually care about people has resulted in this district being considered by the Cook Political Report, which is a report that analyzes congressional districts as a toss-up. So really we have nobody to blame but Henry Guerra in this situation. In the interest of full transparency, I supported his opponent, immigration attorney, local activist, and overall badass Jessica Cisneros. She lost by 290 votes and probably would have beaten him if National Democrats, who had never spent more than 72 hours in South Texas, like Speaker Nancy Pelosi, hadn't tipped the scales by rushing him money and support. And in case you haven't noticed, there seems to be a trend of national powers that be working to keep progressives and organizers from winning elected office. Since the election, Jessica has gone on to help amplify other Democrats across the country and helping raise money for their elections. Henry, on the other hand, has, I don't know, voted against the ban of automatic weapons and given a whiny interview asking Democrats to just let him be him, which is essentially the same excuse your ex-boyfriend gives you before he cheats on you again. It's hard to argue for supporting a Democratic incumbent when he so goes out of his way to be a terrible human being who isn't doing his job. But Jen Has Issues gives a toast to Jessica Cisneros for being an unapologetic progressive and an activist who showed that the grassroots can really make a difference in our community and has waken up the constituents of Texas 28. Now people know that Henry Guerra is not only incompetent, but unable to really care about the people he's supposed to represent. And trust me, I could go on for hours, but I'm sure we'll eventually take out the trash soon enough. when you take all of the queen bees from each click, multiply that by 254, and throw them into a WWE-style cage match and stretch that over a weekend, you get the Texas Democratic Convention. The Texas Democratic Party will be hosting their biennial convention in Dallas July 14th through 16th. So if you happen to be a delegate or just live in Dallas, I'll be there. Now, you might have heard about all the batshit crazy nonsense that came out of the Texas Republican Convention a few weeks ago and immediately freaked out which is a valid response. It's rational to wonder who in their right mind would say things like homosexuality is an abnormal lifestyle choice or anybody who would heckle John Cornyn for working on bipartisan gun legislation after the most deadly massacre of children since Sandy Hook. Mind you, not a John Cornyn fan, but there are so many other things you could heckle him for aside from him doing one logical thing. The bad news is this is becoming the norm for the conservative movement. But the good news is that regardless of what happens in Dallas with Texas Democrats, our convention will be cool, calm, and collected in comparison. I hope I didn't just jinx the convention by saying that, but what Republicans have done is inadvertently open the doors for our next segment, the general discussion. What is a convention? So let's take it from the top. Political conventions were born as early as September 1831. As we know, George Washington was the first president of the United States, but this was a relatively easy decision for the baby country. He was well-liked and well-respected military leader. However, when he decided not to seek a third term, which set the president an eventual law that capped service for the presidency at two terms, political parties were scrambling to decide how to pick their candidates. The anti-Masonic party, which is considered the original third party, decided to host a political convention where they adopted a political platform and decided their candidate for the presidency. The Republican Party followed suit later that year. While these are the backbones of what had become national political conventions, things looked pretty different back then. In the 19th century, it was uncool to campaign for the top job. The idea was, I shouldn't come to the people, but the people should come to me. Most presidential candidates didn't even attend the convention. Also, while this was in concept, a more democratic way to decide a candidate, the truth is that there were a lot of decisions still happening behind closed doors. There were no elections in states or a concept of the popular vote determining delegates, and several candidates who eventually became president, such as Andrew Jackson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Dwight Eisenhower, got the nomination through these backdoor plans. So. 
Before I lose you on the idea of, damn, that's always been fucked up, let's fast forward to 1968. By this point in time, states were holding primaries, or the election to determine nominees for the November general election. The Democratic National Convention was being held in Chicago, and it was a shitstorm. Military and law enforcement were attacking anti-war protesters outside of the convention because of the fact that inside the convention, party leaders were ignoring the results of the primaries and declaring a pro-war candidate who hadn't participated in the primary process the Democratic nominee. It was actually a young Democrat named Jeffrey Cowan, who at the time was a law student, that rallied around the eventual commission on the Democratic selection of presidential nominees to consider whether the party needed to change its rules. This led the Democratic Party to adopt new rules, giving more power to primary elections in selecting a presidential nominee. The Republican Party followed suit by rewriting its rules in a similar way. Which brings us to modern day. There are actually three levels of political conventions. Texas holds its primaries in March, which is where candidates do get out to earn the support of their political party. Historically, turnout in primaries is low because it tends to be the most partisan people. After primaries are theoretically wrapped up, I say theoretically because there can still be a runoff where candidates go to what seems to be a sudden death round, local parties are responsible for hosting a county convention. The county convention is where delegates or local voting representatives from the community are elected to go to the state convention. Some places, like Austin and Houston, have huge conventions. Other places, like in rural counties where there are more stoplights than voters, might hold theirs in a high school gym or a restaurant. Texas is also weird. We're the only state that organizes by state senate districts. So delegates get elected to represent their senate district at the county level. Every other state in the country organizes by congressional districts. Okay, so if I haven't lost you yet, this brings us to the state convention. This is the convention in question where the GOP lost their marbles and the one where Democrats will be coming to Dallas in about a week, given the publication of this podcast. So what does one do at a state convention? State conventions are held every two years in even numbered years. This year, 2022 is the midterm year, which means that we don't have a national convention to send delegates for presidential nominations. However, there is plenty of business that will need to be conducted. So let's say this is your first convention. Here are some basics that you should know. Number one, the convention is spread out over three days. The first day is a meeting with the State Democratic Executive Committee. Consider the State Democratic Executive Committee almost like a political volturi. In theory, they're the governing body of the Texas Democratic Party. Now I say in theory because to be completely honest, over the years, that power has been diluted by a mix of bench warmers only wanting a title and an organization that doesn't always want oversight. The body has been changing to be representative of more diversity and activism in the state, in particular with more folks who want change. I'm happy to talk about this later if there's more interest but you should know that I currently serve on the State Democratic Executive Committee. I represent Senate District 21, which covers 14 counties that go from South Austin all the way down to the border in Laredo, Texas. Laredo's my hometown, so shout out to the 956. Number two, this convention is where we will elect state officers, including the statewide chair of the Texas Democratic Party. We elect statewide officers every four years, and now, more than ever, there is major attention on the leadership in the Texas Democratic Party. For reasons I can only describe as not my circus, not my clowns, I am staying out of the chair's right. But for your awareness, there are three candidates for chair. Current chair and former judge Gilberto Hinojosa from the Valley. Former congressional slash agriculture commissioner candidate Kim Olson from the DFW area. And former DNC member and Texas Coalition of Black Democrats president Carol Robinson. I do, however, want to shout out the young Democrats who are running for other positions. 
like celebrated Harris County Democratic Party Chair Otis Mpagaru and Kendall Scatter. They'll be running respectively for the treasurer and vice chair finance role. It is also worth mentioning that signing up to run for something doesn't guarantee you an automatic in. You actually have to campaign for the thing you sign up for. Some campaigns are crowded while others are open for folks to sign up. Either way, this is a pretty good exercise in democracy. I recently conducted a training for the delegates of Senate District 21. So if you're a delegate who really wants to navigate the space for the first time, I'll be sure to put this on the Gen Has Issues social media later. Number three, this convention will have the parliamentarian that dreams are made of. Noted Young Democrat for Life, Dina Tollerton, will be the lead parliamentarian for this year's convention. This is important because parliamentarians are the people who keep things on track with their knowledge of rules and procedure. Dina is an internationally certified parliamentarian and will ensure that the Texas Democratic Convention is much smoother and less chaotic than the Republican Convention. Number four, this year's convention will be a little different than folks are used to. In 2020, the Texas Democratic Party opted to host their convention virtually, so this is the first time in four years that delegates will be meeting in person. Furthermore, due to what can only be described as Republicans being foolish, corporate sponsorships are at an all-time low. Typically, businesses such as AT&T and C-SPAN provide corporate sponsorships to both sides, but after events such as the January 6th insurrection, corporations have adopted a policy of donate to both or none at all. This means we will not be seeing corporate presence at the convention for the first time in recent memory. So why are political conventions so important? Along from electing the leaders that will help steer the ship, we determine our rules for governance, the resolutions to make a statement and in particular, the platform that dictates how big this infamous quote-unquote big tent party is. For example, the word abortion was not in the Texas Democratic Party platform until 2018. Language on reproductive choice is unreasonably gendered, to the point where it's not inclusive. The section on gun violence is admittedly vague, but not vague enough to excuse the actions of Democrats who supported permitless carry in the Texas legislature. Or the worst Democrat of the century, my bestie, Congressman Henry Cuellar. Our language on labor, while strong, is easily overlooked by campaigns who try to get away with as much free labor as possible. Whereas Democrats have a tendency to only cite the platform when it's convenient, the Republican Party of Texas uses it as the backbone of its worst and most bigoted opinions. This year, they added the following to their platform. Support for the big lie, or the debunked conspiracy that the election was stolen and Joe Biden is not rightfully the elected president of the United States. Gun control is a violation of the Second Amendment. Support for the repeal of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. They have defined human life as being from fertilization to natural death. They are supporting the repeal of the federal and state minimum wage. And this is my favorite because it's just three kinds of ridiculous. The secession of the state of Texas and the resignation of the United States from the United Nations. This isn't everything, but it's just some of the worst. Under normal circumstances, I'd say that this is a fringe part of the Republican Party, and maybe it still is, but fringe or not, the radical conservative faction has done what moderates, Democrats, and leftists haven't been able to do effectively, and that is to organize and unify. What was once seen as a tiny minority in 2012 is now a nationalized movement. They started by becoming pre precinct chairs and community captains, running for party office, and then pushing their agendas in down-ballot races. They found a martyr in Donald Trump, and now the conservative agenda very much resembles what was once seen as improbability. I say this not to freak you out, but rather to point out the writing on the wall has been there for a long time, and you should never discredit groups on a mission. There is hope for the country, if only the same could be said about progressives and the Democratic Party as a whole. While I can't say that the factions of the Democratic Party that refuse to accept our failures are the ones that are going to save us, I will say that we are the change we want to see. Joe Biden telling people to vote hours after a shooting on the 4th of July might not inspire anyone to vote, considering lots of people, myself included, busted their ass to get him elected. But maybe knowing my hairstylist, who has never been an activist, went to her first protest after the Supreme Court gave her stepdaughter less rights than the ones she was born with will be the difference. The people of this country who are tired of business as usual will be the change. And I hope that while we're on this podcast journey together, because who knows how long I'll be recording these without pissing somebody off, that we learn and find our hope for humanity together. Because
Since I want to leave folks on a lighter note, this is para mi gente, or para mi gente, a place where I will share the non-political things that are keeping me going this week. The first shout out of the week goes to the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. No, I'm not joking. And no, not the team, just the cheerleaders. Their reality TV show, Dallas Cowboys Cheerleaders Making the Team, is an absolute guilty pleasure. And upon finding out that the show was canceled this year, after at least 15 seasons. I went down the wormhole of learning about the history of the squad, which includes the documentary called Daughters of the Sexual Revolution and a podcast by Texas Monthly called America's Girls. So if you're like me and want to learn more about the legendary cheerleaders but can't touch your toes, I'm happy to talk jump splits, choreographers, and my favorite cheerleaders, which are Shannon Baker-Worthman and Kat Perrier, in case you're wondering. I also want to take this moment to give thanks to the folks who have made my life so much easier this week. First, to Eli Melendres. If social media brought you to this podcast, you should know that he is the amazing photographer who took all the publicity shots for Jen has issues. His day job is working for the largest teachers union in the state, Texas AFT. Shout out to our educators. But if you're in Texas and looking for good photography, I'm happy to share his contact info. And lastly, but I swear this is not a sponsored post, huge thank you to Victoria from the Wix team. As someone who is usually the first person to get called when it comes to anything tech, and I'll read you to filth if you get me out of bed to convert a Word doc into a PDF, I was getting a real major dose of humility when I could not, for the life of me, get the domain to connect to the podcast website. This has been going on for weeks. There was admittedly some gentle heckling from my less tech-savvy friend and low-key judgment from my best guy friend. All this to say, I'm frustrated and annoyed aside from the world being on fire and I resorted to contacting Wix customer service. Y'all, Victoria was my rep and not only was she nice and not judgy, but she had a sense of humor who made me feel so much less stupid. So if you're listening, Victoria from Wix, I appreciate you and wherever you are in the universe, just know that I am thankful for you and you have made my week. So please give yourself a pat on the back and use this to brag with your coworkers. Now, final notes before we go. Is there something you want to learn about or want to explain in Texas politics? Follow the podcast on social media at JenHasIssuesPod or send me an email at hello at JenHasIssues.com. Signing off for the first time. We survived the first episode, y'all. Signing off. This is Jen Ramos. Make good choices.